Good morning and welcome to the weekend edition of Uptempo Sports 24-7 with your host, Coach P. And this morning, we're here for the celebration of life for two iconic individuals in their field and also in the black community. Miss Cicely Tyson, the queen, and Coach John Cheney. What do you say about two iconic figures? All you can say is that heaven right now is celebrating because we keep getting these icons. Unfortunately, everyone has to pass away, and we know that. But over the last month, not even quite month yet, we've had such iconic figures that have passed through. And here are two more. We just lost the great Hank Aaron. We just talked about that a few days ago. And now here we are talking about Cicely Tyson and John Cheney. But, you know, we know that death is something that awaits us all. We just hope that our lives can be as fulfilled and we can touch extendedly the lives of others the way these two individuals did. So without further ado, let's get this episode started. Let's talk about the queen herself, Cicely Tyson, age 96, just lost her a few days ago. What do you say about a trailblazer? What do you say about a woman who had to overcome barriers? This seems to be our theme here lately, because this is what happens when you are black in America. Whether you are a male or a female, these are the trials and tribulations that you had to go through. And then on the other side, you see the greatness that comes through the hard work, through the constant dedication, through the enormous effort and never giving, never giving up on your dreams, ambitions and the things that you believe in. This is what epitomized Miss Cicely Tyson. We all remember all we can remember all the acclaimed Broadway productions, the movies that she's been in. But I think the most telling thing is just her endurance over the 96 years that she graced this earth. She was still working. She was still writing books. She was still trying to make it. Whereby. We could always look to her for her grace and what she stood for and what she hoped that African-Americans wanted to stand for. That was Cicely Tyson. Iconic figure, like I said, in Hollywood, iconic figure to young black women who wanted to get on the same stage that she was on. Just an iconic figure, period, in America. No matter her color, she was an iconic figure that so many people look to. I heard an interesting statistic on the radio yesterday when um, I was listening to a sports radio station here in the DMV and the host 
gave me a stat that I would have never thought about. And he said that of all the years that SNL, and if you all don't know what SNL is, it's Saturday Night Live, has been on the air. The highest rated show was when Cicely Tyson hosted SNL. And that was on February 10th, 1979. He said he couldn't believe it when he saw that stat either. But that, according to what he read out loud, Cicely Tyson, as the host of Saturday Night Live, had the highest rating ever on Saturday Night Live. Not just the highest rating for a black woman or a person of color to host a show. He said it was the highest rated show in the history of Saturday Night Live. All I can say is, wow. And I say to the queen, Cicely Tyson, rest in paradise, dear. You will be missed. Segway from one icon and I go to another icon. Coach John Chaney. Coach John Chaney passed away at the age of 89 yesterday. 24-year career as a head coach at Temple University. Let me give you the irony of this right here. You had Big John, John Thompson, also here on the East Coast, at one end of I-95, here in the DMV. And then as you travel up I-95, you go to another legendary coach in Philly by the name of John Chaney. John Chaney, folks, just like John Thompson, was a go-getter. He was a trailblazer. He was a disciplinarian. He was a father figure. He was what we all strive to be if you've ever wanted to coach like I myself have coached and consider myself to be a a coach. These are the gentlemen who set the footprints in motion for African-Americans like myself to believe that I can make a difference in the life of a young man by just giving him life lessons instead of just talking about basketball. These are what these two iconic coaches did. They embraced their opportunity to be on the big stage. They embraced their opportunity to give back to the community. They embraced their opportunity to bring along young African-American men to help them to grow beyond the gym, beyond basketball, to be impactful in life. And that's what you are supposed to be doing if you are going to take that mantle to be a coach. You have to do more than just be a coach. For some of these men that played under these two coaches, this is all they knew in, in the forms of a father figure. Because 
they had they didn't have one. John Cheney, 17 NCAA appearances, five regional finals, twice named National Coach of the Year, six Atlantic 10 titles, a total of 741 wins. That's between his career at Temple University and Cheney State where he got started. We all remember the um, exchange between he and Coach John Calipari when John Calipari was at UMass and John Chaney had just lost to UMass and John Chaney went after John Calipari. The irony of, of that sequence of events is that it led to them becoming really good friends. But John Chaney stood for, and the same thing we talk about with Coach John Thompson when he passed, They stood for what was right. They didn't care what you thought about them. They were going to tell you what was right. They were going to tell you to do the right thing, as Spike Lee would say. They were going to tell you, regardless if you wanted to hear it or not. And they were going to do it their way, regardless if you agree with it or not. They were going to do it their way to get their point across. That's what made them such Not just great coaches, but great men. And that's why you have such endearment from their players when they passed because they knew what kind of effect that they had on their lives. That is what coaching is all about. What you impact off the field, off the court. That's what these coaches like John Thompson and now Coach John Chaney That's what they were about. John Chaney had players like Aaron McKee, Eddie Jones, Mark Macon, Tim Perry, guys who were not five-star recruits that ended up going and making it into the NBA. That's the sign of a great coach. That's the sign of you being able to get the best out of the player's ability when everybody else looks at them in a different way than you did and put them on the map to be a national player on the big stage. That's what Coach John Chaney did at Temple. These type of men don't grow on trees. These type of coaches are not walking into your living room anymore. It's not every day that you have these type of coaches that they're going to show you how they feel, that you have this type of coach that's going to lay it all on the line for the betterment of not just the game, but the betterment of the individuals that he's coaching. That's what being a leader, that's what being a trailblazer, that's what being true to yourself and true to your people as black men is all about. Coach John Chaney, thank you for showing me as a young man when I was coming up and wanted 
and thought about coaching. Thank you for showing me how it is and the responsibility that it takes um, to be a coach. Not just being able to break down X's and O's, not being able to break down a triangle defense, man-to-man defense, but to be able to help young men better themselves, help young men to understand that they can love the game of basketball, but there are other things in life as well that is going to be a stepping stone for them to be a better person. Thank you for showing and carving a way for black men like myself and for those that you coach and those who have followed behind you. We thank you. We thank we thank you for what you've done in the black community, just like the same way we thank Coach John Thompson for what he did in the black community. You two are two of the legendary and iconic, not just iconic coaches, but legendary men. Not only in the black community, in my opinion, but in America. Salute. Rest in paradise, coach. You will be missed. We're going to take a small commercial break and we'll be right back to talk about Deshaun Watson and what in the world is going on with that dumpster fire in Houston. You're listening to Uptempo Sports. Thank you for tuning in. All right, all right. Welcome back to Uptempo Sports 24-7 with Coach P. And let's talk about this situation going on in Houston. As we've said before, we'll say it again. Houston, you have a problem. And if you don't do something about it that can change the course of your franchise, you are going to be in disarray for years to come. Let's just start with the hire of Coach David Cudley. David Cully has been an assistant coach for over 20 years, 20 years plus in the NFL. He served on the staff under Andy Reid. His last stint was just recently with the Baltimore Ravens. From all accounts, he's a good man. Um, Nothing but good things have been said about him. And out of the seven jobs that were available in the NFL, He is the only African-American to get a job. I wish him well because we don't have many opportunities for African-American coaches. My only question is, if I'm not mistaken, I think he's got 27 years of experience in the NFL. Why hasn't he ever been a coordinator? That's question number one. Number two, when you've had somebody who has been successful as a coordinator like A. Todd Bowles, defensive coordinator for Tampa Bay. Of course, Eric Bieniemy, the current offense coordinator for that machine in Kansas City. Why aren't these guys being pushed 
closer to the front of the stage. I personally believe that Todd Bowles, to me, I just think certain coaches are better at their craft, what they do. I think Todd Bowles is one of the best defense coordinators in the NFL. That's where I think he's best suited. Maybe the job with New York wasn't the best opportunity, as we can see that the Jets have been a dumpster fire for the last four or five years. Maybe he did, and he didn't probably get a fair shake when he was there. But the hiring of David Cully leaves me scratching my head because he said he took this job with the understanding that Deshaun Watson was going to be the quarterback. How could he have known that when Deshaun Watson's not even talking to the front office? Deshaun Watson's not talking to anybody in this Texans organization. Deshaun Watson's agent has been doing the talking. Deshaun has been talking through songs, through lyrics of songs. Doesn't sound like he's been talking to the new GM. He hasn't talked to the owner. So how could they have told David Cutley that Deshaun Watson was definitely going to be a part of their plan? To me, you're setting yourself up for failure if you, number one, you bring this gentleman in who at the age of 65 is now actually getting his first opportunity as a head coach and telling him that the star player, the best player on this team is going to be in place. Deshaun Watson has formally come out and told the Texans he wants to be traded. If you are the Texans organization, you should be doing everything plausible to get as much as you can for your franchise quarterback who no longer wants to be employed. Why go through this whole offseason of song and dance knowing that Deshaun doesn't want to be there? The trust has been broken. And then you set yourself up that if you don't make a trade prior to the draft, you don't position yourself to try to get accumulate as many assets prior to the draft. You wait until the draft and then teams start drafting quarterbacks. You find yourself upside down with bad stock that you can never sell off now because now you have no flexibility to make a move. Deshaun already has a no trade clause in his contract. He has come to you and he has at least said through his his spokespeople through his agent that he's willing to bypass that portion of his contract in order for him to be traded somewhere that he wants to play. Why not just honor his request? That's my thing with these organizations. You, it's not a, it's not a, it's not even a position of of a player trying to dictate to the organization what he does want to do or what he doesn't want to do. But in a situation like this, when ownership went to the player and told the player that he was going to have input on some decisions that were going to be made, at least at least with the interview process, and you failed to honor that, how can you trust the ownership? You trade away his best asset, his best receiver in DeAndre Hopkins. You let Bill O'Brien walk out the door after he pretty much mortgaged your team. And then you want Deshaun Watson to keep creating all these miracles. He threw for over 4,000 yards this year. He was a leading, yardage-wise, leading passer in the NFL. He really has nothing to work with. 
and he's still producing at such a high rate. He's he's playing like a true professional. He's still in the community being the man that he needs to be for this organization, which is the face of the organization. And you all just don't want to do right. I personally believe without any knowledge of the situation behind closed doors, but just on the surface of how things are going, I personally believe there are some some backdoor issues that we're going to find out after the smoke clears and Deshaun Watson is gone. I think there's a lot of underlying racial tone issues that have occurred that started a few years ago with the original owner who has since now passed away, Bob McNair, and has carried on forward with his son. And so I don't know how you get around that. You hiring Coach Cully is almost like you're just trying to bring together a bond as if this is going to be the bridge that allows Deshaun to say, you know what, I'm going to stay. I don't want to be traded anymore. I don't think it's it's ever that simple. And it definitely is not that simple in this particular situation. Deshaun Watson knows he's been there since the day he was drafted. He knows what this organization has not done and what it will not do. And I think he's just gotten to the point where he's just said enough is enough. I'm out. And although you hired a minority coach, it wasn't the coach that he wanted. Nor at this particular point is it going to be any way that you can appease him for you all just dropping the ball. And you all not being professional enough to do the right thing. So that ship has sailed. So at this particular point, you might as well try to accumulate as many assets as you can to move forward with your organization by going out and seeing what you can get on a trade market for Deshaun Watson. What happens with organizations is that they become rigid. They become stubborn. Because they don't want anybody telling them, they don't want players telling them what they're going to do with their business. Meaning the business of anything that happens on this on this level where you as a player think that you have control to tell the organization that you're not going to play or who you're going to play for. Teams don't like that. You know, teams don't like that. They they it's almost, and I hate to say it this way, it's almost that that master plantation kind of mentality like remember you work for me and I'm paying you this handsome salary so you're going to do as I tell you to do that's the kind of idea that I I see with the way they're handling this with the Texans Deshaun Watson says nah miss me with all that you don't do the right thing you won't have my services because I will hold out And why go through all of that? Let this man free and you all get back quantity of pieces that you can move forward in trying to rebuild not only your reputation as an organization, but rebuild the talent level so that you can have free agents that want to come and play for your organization. Because right now, you can best believe that agents are getting calls from their players that they represent and they're telling their agents 
I am not looking to go to Houston as a free agent. And I am not looking to be traded to Houston under no circumstances. The Texans have a, excuse me, folks, the Texans have a problem. And until they identify that and are willing to work that out, they're going to find themselves in professional purgatory with this whole situation with Deshaun Watson. We have other quarterback news going on in the NFL. We told you a few days ago that Detroit Lions and Matthew Stafford had come to a mutual agreement that they would move the quarterback. So it sounds like that the trade rumors are not rumors. It sounds like that it's getting real heated and that we may have something that comes about before the Super Bowl next weekend. Sounds like the Lions are getting a lot of offers for the services for Matthew Stafford. So we're just going to have to see who's going to make the best offer. But they said it's at least six teams in on trying to get the services of one Matthew Stafford. With that being said, look for possibility of Jared Goff being on the move. We've just learned a couple of days ago that Jared Goff, Sean McVay, and the general manager, Mr. Sneed, are not happy with their quarterback. We saw that when the playoffs came around and Jerry Goff was a scratch for the start of the Seattle game in the playoffs in the wild card game. But because quarterback John Warford ended up getting a concussion, they had to insert Jerry Goff. Although Jerry Goff actually played pretty well considering he was just coming off of thumb surgery in this game he played pretty well and got them a victory and then went to green bay the following week and actually they had a fighting chance in that game but it's quite evident that sean McVay is not happy with the development of jared golf in his offense so i don't know for sure where they can move Jared Goff because of the amount of money that he's due to receive. But I know that the Rams have put feelers out with the Lions about Matthew Stafford. Again, they're not the only team. We know the Colts are interested. We hear the Carolina Panthers are interested. The Chicago Bears are interested, even though I do not see a scenario where Detroit would trade with Chicago, a team within their division, and they would have to see Matthew Stafford twice a year. That, to me, is not even an option. Although Chicago is in the midst of looking for a quarterback, I do not believe that they will bring Mitchell Trubisky back. And if they do, it'll be on a one-year contract. We know that they they did not pick up that fifth-year option, and I don't blame them. Mitchell Trubisky is not a franchise quarterback. To me, he is almost in the same role now that we find Nick Foles. He's a quarterback that can come in and play complimentary football, For about four or five games. But if you want sustainability for your franchise, you have got to find another quarterback. He's more like a relief pitcher than he is a starting pitcher. Or I should say a starting quarterback in the NFL. I don't care what kind of offense you put him in. I just don't think that he has 
that capacity to be a quarterback that you can count on for 16 games. I should say 17 games because the NFL in 2021, we will be going to a 17 game season. So that's one more game added to the regular season before we even start talking about playoffs. I don't see Mitchell Trubisky being a guy that can lead you through a 17 game season plus playoffs if you are fortunate enough to make it to the playoffs. So Chicago is going to have to figure out their next plan of action because they've got to get a quarterback. Nick Foles, they already have. I don't believe that Nick Foles is a 17-game a season quarterback either. So it's no point in you keeping two guys that are pretty much the same, even though Nick Foles is a lot older than Mitchell Trubisky. But at this particular point, we've seen enough sample size to realize that Mitchell Trubisky is not going to be the answer long term for the Chicago Bears, but I don't see them being a optimal option that Detroit would trade within a division to give them Matthew Stafford. Matthew Stafford will not be homeless for long. He will be somewhere. And it will be quite interesting to see how what happens in LA with Jared Goff as well. He's due to make a lot of money. He's got $43 million guaranteed left on that contract. We know Matthew Stafford's got about 42 or $43 million left on a two-year deal. Jerry Goff has four years left on his deal, but 43 of the 43 million in that four-year contract is guaranteed. So you know they just can't cut him and not still be responsible for paying him. So they're going to have to see if they can find a trade partner to unload their contract on if they wanted to try to move on and get another quarterback, whomever that may be. It's going to be fun times in the NFL starting when the season for business can be open beginning March 17th. That's when the year opens for NFL NFL business to start, meaning that any trades that are going to be consummated can be done so beginning the year opening March 17th and then of course we know we have the draft in April if I believe the draft is April 29th so look for a lot of things that happen between now and then Dak Prescott is a quarterback that's on the cups of rehabbing from that ankle injury this past season, will the Cowboys finally give him a long-term deal or will they franchise him again? I think Dallas did what they thought was plausible last year, and it seems as though maybe they, they did make the right move because look at the tail, look at the tail of two cities, Los Angeles and Philadelphia. Those two cities signed their quarterbacks early, Carson Wentz and Jared Goff. Remember, in the draft in which Dak Prescott was also in, which he was a fourth-round pick, those two quarterbacks, Jared Goff and Carson Wentz, went one and two. Do you not think that both Philadelphia and the Rams right now have buyer's remorse by giving those quarterbacks money two years early? 
And I think that's the reason why Dallas was acting very cautious in regards to how they were going to handle Dak. The only problem is now is that we've kind of seen that with Dak not being in Dallas, with him being out with this injury this past season, that the lack of leadership was on the tail, was on the back end. And that's one of the intangibles that Dak brings to this that Dallas organization. Now, is that worth $40 million to Dallas? We're going to find out. We're going to find out how how much of a check Jerry's going to have to write and if he's going to write a long-term check or if he's going to take his chances because he's a bit of a gambler and roll the dice on another franchise contract for one more year. One more franchise tag, I should say, for one more season. That would put Dak at $38 million, which means that he would have made in two years, if they franchise him again, in over two over a two-year span, he would have made approximately a total of $70 million guaranteed. At that particular point, do you just go ahead and just sign him and get it over with? Because I don't see them signing him. If they franchise him this year, I don't see them franchising franchising him next year for a third term. So you have to ask yourself, what do you have better? Or do you get in on the Deshaun Watson sweepstakes like everybody else is trying to do? What are you willing to give up to get Deshaun? Could you possibly package Dak Prescott to the Houston Texans along with first round pick next year and a second and third round pick or two first round picks next year and the following year and a second round pick this year because Dallas can't afford to give up their 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 uh, first round pick this year which is the number 10 pick they've got to find ways to strengthen that defense or even that offensive line so even if as bad as you would maybe with one of Deshaun Watson you've got to get pieces around him to make sure that he is going to be the player that you're dra- that you're I'm sorry the player that you're trading for and that he is going to be able to be healthy by playing against by playing behind an offensive line that's going to be healthy or getting help on the defensive side of the ball so that he so that he does not have to carry your franchise like he's been doing with the Houston Texans. That's what you have to ask yourself. It's going to get real fun out here, folks. In the next couple of months, it's going to be real, really interesting. So we're going to take one more commercial break, and then we're going to segue to the NBA. Because the question that we have right now is, are the Lakers in trouble? Two straight losses on the road and how is the James Harden Kevin Durant Kyrie Irving experience working with Brooklyn those are the questions and many more that we'll answer for you when we come back in that third session of uptempo sports let's take one quick one more quick break and we'll be right back
All right, welcome back, welcome back as we come back to Up Tempo Sports 24-7 with Coach P. Is there time to push the panic button in L.A. after winning with a 10 games on the road? The Lakers have dropped their last two. And then the question is being asked. Did they peak too soon? Are they in trouble? Is LeBron playing too many minutes? Let's answer some of those questions. First of all, the Lakers are fine. Let's just say that. It's a 72-game season. We're basically 21 games in. And people are speculating that the Lakers are in trouble. They just had the best record two days ago in the NBA. They were sitting on top of the West. Although Utah has been one of the hottest teams and quiet as kept, the Clippers have been right there as a top three team in the West as well as in the NBA record-wise. But the Lakers are fine. They don't have any injuries right now. AD, Anthony Davis, had a bit of a a, a slight quad injury. So they held him out of their second or back-to-back games. They went on the road to Philly. Kind of seesaw back and forth in the fourth quarter. Philly had control of this game early on. And then in the fourth quarter, kind of seesaw back and forth. The Lakers went on a run. 13-1 run, they went up with a chance to win this game at the end, only to see Tobias Harris hit a about a 15-foot shot over Alice Caruso to save Philly from the embarrassment of blowing a double-digit lead, and they win by, Philly wins by one at home. Then they go to Detroit the next night. We just told you AD sat out. LeBron starts his game out 7-for-7. In the second half, he couldn't find a rim. They lose to Detroit in a return to Blake Griffin for Detroit. They lose by 15 points. Folks, 21 games in. You can't expect the Lakers to win all their games on the road. You can't expect them to win every game night in and night out, especially when these teams are not getting the breaks in regards to the the layoffs as they were if it was an 82-game season. With the COVID protocols going through, so many teams missing games because of COVID testing and players testing for COVID, You just this is going to be one of those seasons where we're going to see who is the last man standing just like we did last year in the NBA bubble. Who has the endurance in the stretch run? This is not a sprint. It's a marathon. So, On the second half of the season, who is going to be the healthiest? Not only from the idea of trying to still fight through this pandemic, but just healthy so far as just common injuries that players will incur over the year. Ankles, thigh bruises, 
things of that nature. Fingers, thumb injuries, those, you know, things that happen during the course of the year. Who is going to be the help, healthiest, I'm sorry, over the second half of the year and who can sustain that going into the playoffs? I think the Lakers are built for that because they have LeBron, who is one of the most mentally tough players and leaders that has been shown in the NBA. Will they may have to make a move by the trade deadline and get another piece? It's a possibility. But there are other teams that are going to have to do the same thing. Because the Lakers, as long as they have a healthy Anthony Davis and a healthy LeBron James, are still the most formidable team in the NBA and they are the defending champs. So you're going to have to take the championship away from them. And we all know what happens come playoff time with LeBron. He is focused like none other. So let's not jump to conclusions because they just lost two games on the road. I know the Detroit loss was bad optics because Detroit is such a bad team. But you know what? Good teams sometimes take a night off against bad teams. We've seen that <clears throat> Excuse me, many, many times. Not just in basketball, in football, as that's why they say on any given Sunday. We've seen that happen. So let's not let's not get all discombobulated because the Lakers have lost two games now back to back, and one of those was two one of the worst teams in the NBA. Pump your brakes. The Lakers have a game on Saturday night against the Boston Celtics. That should be very interesting game from the standpoint that Boston's getting back. Jason Tatum and they just lost themselves earlier in the week to the San Antonio Spurs by double digits so they're going to be looking to get back into the winner's circle as well so all the stars will be aligned this Saturday night for this game so we'll see what happens with that let's talk about what's going on in the east with the New Jersey, I'm sorry, with the Brooklyn Nets. I am, I'm, 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 I'm giving my age, folks. I'm start, I call them New Jersey. I meant to say the Brooklyn Nets. We've seen what it looks like when these three stars have a line now with James Harden, KD, and Kyrie Irving. We've seen what kind of show they put on points-wise. <clears throat> what we're looking for is what they're going to do to stop because at some point, they have to got to make a stop, especially when the playoffs roll around. They can't just outscore everybody. They've got to be able to stop somebody in the fourth quarter from scoring. But let me tell you what James Harden has done since he's been with the Brooklyn Nets. The last game they played, which was against the Atlanta Hawks, that they had to go into overtime. James Harden had 31-15. and 15. He became the first player since Steph, Stephon Marbury to score 30 points and dish out 15 assists in a game. The last time that was done was when Stephon Marbury played when they were the New Jersey Nets. That was that feat that was accomplished by Stephon Marbury was done on was done on January 20th of 2000. 
So you're talking about 21 years that this record was in place where a player has scored 30 plus points and had 15 plus assists. James Harden took it to another level. Not only did he have 31 points in this game, but he had 15 assists and he had eight plus rebounds. He became the first player in Brooklyn Nets history to have 30 plus points, eight plus rebounds, and 15 plus assists in a game. I think that tells you that he's acclimated himself to his new surroundings. And that also shows you that we talk about how great of a scorer James Harden is. People forget that James Harden is a really good assist guy, too. He's a really good passer. And a lot of times, and I'll say this myself, we get caught up in seeing how well he scores and forget that he does assist on a lot of plays. He's probably, I'm not saying he's a better passer than Kyrie, but he his eye for looking to pass the ball, I think, is a little bit better than Kyrie's is. We know Kyrie is just a score. He's he's a, 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 a version of Kobe. You know that Kobe was a mentor to Kyrie. Kyrie has that Kobe, that Kobe mentality in regards to he can't be stopped as a score. That his mentality is, is that <clears throat> I'm going to get a bucket. However, I need to get a bucket for my team to be successful. James Harden is the same way. But James Harden has shown us that he will involve his teammates. He will get the ball to the open man and create opportunities for his teammates to get their shots as well. The problem right now is that Brooklyn doesn't have enough players other than the three guys that we talked about that are touching the ball. The only other player who is getting shots up is Joe Harris. They have got to figure out what they're going to do in regards to getting some defensive help before we even consider them to be a formidable a formidable opponent not only to the Lakers but in the Eastern Conference big picture let's stay in the Eastern Conference and let's talk about what's going on with the Washington Wizards we've already highlighted and spoke on the fact that the Wizards are one of those teams that just like the Miami Heat that have had to miss multiple multiple games and players have missed multiple multiple games because of COVID protocols but doing all this the one thing that has been the shining light for the Wizards has been the play of their all-star Bradley Beal that's right Bradley Beal leads the league in scoring unfortunately the Wizards have only won three games they're one of the worst teams in the NBA Currently, record-wise, Bradley Beal has been on a tear. He hit 36 in a losing cause to the Houston Rockets a few nights ago. He then turned back around and dropped 47 points in a losing effort. You can see his frustration building up as he sat on the sidelines. And one thing I can respect about Bradley Beal is that he has said all the right things about wanting to stay with this organization, about wanting to bring a championship to this organization. But how many nights can you continue to go out and play your best only to see your team still get beat? 
and not just get beat, but get beat by double digits. It's one thing to lose a game. Bradley Beal, James Harden, LeBron James, all these NBA players who go out here night in and night out and put up magnificent performances know that they can't win every game during the course of a 72-game season. But the disheartening part is, is that if you're going into a game and you don't feel like you have a chance to win, that's the part that gets you in your feelings and makes you want to just come out and say, look, I've done all I can for this organization. I need to be in a better place. And I think that's basically what James Harden was saying with the Houston Rockets, except for he just went about it the wrong way. But it's nothing wrong with wanting to win. And every organization should want to put their best player in a position to want to win. Right now, the Washington Wizards are not doing that for Bradley Beal. Another stat I want to run past you. I told you Bradley Beal dropped 36, then he came back and dropped 47. The Wizards lost both of those games. Bradley Beal has scored 40-plus points in 10 games. Going back to last season, the Wizards have lost every single game. Let me repeat that. Bradley Beal, in 10 games, in a 10-game stretch, going back to last year, has scored 40-plus points. 10 different times and they lost every single game if I'm Bradley Bill we know that there have been players that have been out due to COVID and other injuries some of those players are going to start coming back but if I'm Bradley Bill and if we're not close to 500 by the time the trade deadline comes around the corner I'm going to management and say I know I said that I wanted to be here. I know I said I wanted to bring a championship to this city. But the way we're looking right now, I don't see how in the world that I can make that happen because you're not giving me the players around me for me to do the things I've been doing consistently in order for us to be able to consistently try to win. I think Bradley Bill is a true professional. I I do believe what Bradley Bill is selling, that he wants to be here. But why would you want this young man to waste the best years of his life on a team that's downtrodden and not going anywhere? There's teams like the Dallas Mavericks who, for whatever reason, Luka Doncic is doing what Luka Doncic does. But they're nowhere near the team that they were last year do you not believe that Luca and Bradley Bill and Porzingis if they got Bradley Bill put give them a shot in the arm and wake them up in the west what about Bradley Bill going to the Denver Nuggets I don't know what you would have to trade I've heard that if in most situations teams would probably want Michael Porter I don't know with if Bradley Beal would be the piece that gets them over the top in the West with Jamal Murray and the Joker. But I'm just saying, there are there are places that Bradley Beal's talents will be appreciated and places where Bradley Beal, if you're adding him to the fold, could change the landscape of the NBA. The Wizards have to probably consider 
if Brad came to them asking for a trade, they would have to consider all options. It's no way you can just say you're not trading him. Same way I was telling you about the Houston Texans saying there's no way they're not going to trade Deshaun Watson. Deshaun Watson's disgruntled now. Bradley Beal doesn't appear to be disgruntled. He just appears to be frustrated. And if he's frustrated and unhappy, you're not going to be able to get continue to get his best performances. You have got to figure out a way to either upgrade your roster or to move potentially your best player to another location and then try to start this this rebuild process with future picks. Russell Westbrook is a gamer. It's just he and Brad are just not enough to make this Wizards team be formidable even in the Eastern Conference. So if you're the Wizards, like I said before, organizations just have to be smart. Do what's best for the organization. And if what's best for the organization is trading away your best asset in order to get more assets, then that's what you have to do. Because in the bigger picture, at some point, fans are going to start coming back to these stadiums, back to these arenas. You need to sell seats when the doors are able to be opened up again after we can get through this pandemic. If you have a bad product on the floor, you're not going to be able to sell seats. You're not going to be able to to keep telling your fan base that you want to win when all they see night in and night out are L's piling up. Something to think about. Food for thought, Wizards. You better, you better, you're on the clock. You better figure out what you're going to do because you don't want to miss that window of opportunity to get potential players back and pieces that you can start building with for the future by holding on to Bradley Beal. Want to talk about, they always say that you can't go back home. You hear that all the time. Players saying, you know, can I go back and play for my home team? And a lot of times players are like, yeah, don't really want to play for my home team early on in my career, but maybe there's a chance that when I'm on the second half of my career or I'm almost at the doors of retirement, maybe I can go back home then. Well, we're going to see that in the WNBA because Candace Parker, the all-star and future Hall of Famer for women's basketball, is going back to her roots. She's returning home to Chicago to play for the Chicago Sky. She's leaving the L.A. Sparks, the team that drafted her, team that made her the number one pick, the team where she captured her one and only WNBA championship a few years ago. She's going to leave them to go home and play in front of her hometown fans and family. I think that she has earned the right to do that. I'm sure that there's a back backdoor story of something more of, that we're not hearing right now about why Candace is leaving L.A. to go play in Chicago. But if that's what she wants to do and if that's what is going to make her happy in these last few years of her career, then salute. She's earned that. 
She has been one of the best women basketball players of all time, not just professionally, but collegiately as well. Remember, she played for the late great Pat Summit at Tennessee. She was a part of that Tennessee stream of great women players, Tamika Catchings, Candace Parker. They were some of the top. Uh, Shamika Holescloth, you know, just a line of great players that were streaming out of Tennessee before Gino and that Connecticut group took hold and took over women's basketball. It started in Tennessee first. So we wish Candace all the best. You know, she's got a career already set up. Once she decides to hang up her tennis shoes, she will definitely be on TV. She's already been on TNT. She's been on NBA TV. She's got a great career ahead of her in broadcasting. We wish her all the best. We wish her nothing but the best with this WNBA season in Chicago. If anybody can get them on the right path, it's a winner like Candace Parker. So we're going to close this segment of Uptempo Sports 24-7. We appreciate you taking the time to listen to us and join in. You know that we're going to be having big, big discussions and big news forecasts for you next week as we start talking about Super Bowl 55 down in Tampa. We're going to get that party started for you the beginning of the week. We just hope that everybody has a great weekend. And let's keep our fingers crossed that we're going to be able to finish out this college basketball season folks because so many games are getting canceled because of COVID and trying to protect these young um, young men in college basketball the universities and the NCAA is trying to take all the precautions the conferences are trying to, t- are trying to take all the precautions necessary to get these players through but at the end of the day the main thing is that everyone can remain healthy we hope that We can get or hear news of more of the vaccine out here for everybody to be able to get the shots necessary so that we can so that we can combat this COVID-19, that we can combat the new strand that we hear it has come in from Brazil and from the UK. We just want our world to return to some sense of stableness and stability and let's move forward with this new presidency in a positive fashion with that we say thank you again for tuning in and again r.i.p to john cheney and cicely tyson we appreciate you tuning in and as we always say before we depart it's always what same bad time same bad channel definitely check us out on all your social platforms Apple, Spotify, Google. Until the next, enjoy your weekend. Peace.